0: Welcome to this week's episode of Sermon Seasonings, where we get to dig into the text that we've been looking at uh, during the week, and especially on the Sermon on Sunday, and going a bit deeper and exploring some of the things that time didn't permit. Um, my name's David Mears.
1: And I'm Mandy Curley. Yesterday, we looked at chapters 23 and 24 of 1 Samuel, and we saw the two kings of Israel at play, Saul, who is still grasping for control with his own hands, and David, who who even when Saul is seemingly delivered into his hands is willing to leave him in safety because he knows that Saul is God's anointed king. Ultimately, we saw that everything is in the Lord's hands as he is the one who is sovereign over all. Thanks, Dave, for opening God's word for us. was a pleasure. Well, we had one question that came in late that I thought would be a great way to kick off today's sermon seasonings. So here goes. Is God's anointing a permanent thing? Was it affected by Saul's rejection of God's commands and the fact that God would forsake Saul?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, right from the text. So the short answer is that yes, God's anointing is a permanent thing. Um, what Saul's disobedience did was impact particularly how long his kingship would endure so in fact i'll go back let's go back to the source Uh, 1 samuel chapter 13 when saul was first told that the kingship would be taken from him this is what samuel says you have not kept the command the lord your god gave you if you had he would have established your kingdom over israel for all time but now your kingdom will not endure the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So that's from 1 chapter, one Samuel 13, um, 13 which would be easy to remember. But the thing that we'll find is, is that what you have is two kingships overlapping, two Lord's anointeds, and we see the period in between. Um, Saul is basically going to have his kingdom taken from him. It will not endure, but he is still the Lord's anointed.
1: Helpful to see that as we dig into the details. I've got another question for you. It wasn't asked, but I think it's a good one. How do you fit 600 men in a cave, have a conversation, sneak up on a guy, and then go back to where you were and keep chatting some more and him not even hear that you were there?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. There's there's three reasons. First, light. Second, geology. Third, sheep. So it's really, really bright in the Judean sunshine near the Dead Sea. So you're walking out from a bright sun into a dark cave. You're not seeing anything. And what's more, you're then going to turn around because it's not as if you're going to do your business with your backside facing the door, are you? So you're looking outside into the bright sun. There's your vision dealt with. The second thing is geology, is that the whole up north... To south, the whole promised land there is one big set of limestone mountains. And what we know about limestone is there's caves everywhere. And if you've gone to Israel as as you and I have, Mm. you can see that there's caves literally everywhere. And certainly down in those areas near the Dead Sea, near an Engedi Oasis, where there's lots of water, the caves are large and plentiful. And yes, you can fit six hundred people into them. And then the third thing is sheep. How could he not hear? Well, it's actually there in the text. That it was where the sheep pens were, and there were cave, and and that's where the cave was, and so what you need to understand again, if you've gone to Israel, you get to see it, is that the way they did their shepherding, is is we're so used to Christmas pictures, where it's nice rolling green things and and sheep cluttered in nice little circles and clumps with the shepherds around them, well that's not what they do. They go if we're going to if we're going to store these sheep, we're going to stick them in a cave because there's plenty of caves, and we'll just put a fence across the front. And so the caves and the sheep pens were basically the same thing. So Saul's there, he can't see a thing, and he's surrounded by bleating sheep. David could comfortably do pretty much whatever he wanted to do.
1: Yeah, it's great when the text actually, as we look in it carefully, it helps us to make sense of what's actually going on, and we see how it actually can happen even when it seems unbelievable. What else did you notice in the text that would be helpful for us to see and understand, Dave?
0: Well, the first is a really interesting parallel, and it comes out of one of those details. Uh, it, it's interesting, someone was talking to me earlier today and said, isn't it amazing that the Bible actually tells you about people going to the toilet? And so it's not the sort of thing that you would put in a story if you were making it up, and he's exactly right. The only time you, you might put it in there is is if you're trying to, make a point that doesn't flatter the person you're talking about, and then certainly doing that for Saul. Here's the interesting parallel. The last time that you read about someone going to the toilet uh, has some very interesting correspondences to our passage. It's back in Judges chapter 3 where you've got the big enemy of Israel at that time was a king called Eglon of Moab And Israel had been suffering it under him for more than a decade. The thing that we're told about Eglon of Moab that you remember from, if you know the book of Judges, is he was huge. He was a mammothly fat man. Um, The judge that God raised up tellingly to deliver Israel from the hands of the Moabites was a guy called Ehud. Now, Ehud is not the most impressive of judges. He's an assassin. And so he goes in, he, 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 he on a pretext, he says, I've got a secret to tell you to Eglon. Eglon's sitting up there. We're told that he was in his closet, um, which is his toilet, and... Um, also just enjoying the cool of the day. And Egon Ehud goes in there, talks to him, and while he says, I've got a secret to tell you, leans through, and he stabs him. And we're told that basically his bowels came out and the people didn't come in to save him, his, his servants, because they said he's probably going to the toilet. That's the last time. So think about the context. A king of the nations harassing Israel. That king is almost mocked by the text. He's fat. He's on the toilet why on earth are you afraid of him and why shouldn't you have called out to me in the first place because I'm going to send a left-handed assassin to stab him and that is what's going to save you. So in a sense it's, it's, it's a story that says the kings like the nations are not that scary and the other side of it is is it says why aren't you trusting me more that I have to send and do it as easily as send this less than flattering judge in to do it. And so certainly for David to kill a king, even his enemy, by stabbing him when he doesn't know about it, in the back, while he's going to the toilet, it is just not what noble people do. Mm-hmm. Ehud Pretty was shameful. not meant to be the model judge. And part of that is because he's going to stab someone in the guts like an assassin when he doesn't know on a lie. And I think there's some interesting parallels there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we've seen one parallel. You seem to be indicating that there's more than one yeah, parallel. Yeah, yeah.
0: There, there's, there's three we're going to have a look at. Uh, the second one is basically within 1 Samuel itself. There, there's we'll, we'll read through the book of God giving certain people into certain hands and delivering others from people's hands. The ones who, the, the pattern is that God is, Will deliver his people from the hands of the nations around them, from their enemies, and all the way through one Samuel, that's mostly the Philistines who are always being the ones who are delivered into the hands of God's people. Samuel and even at one point Saul and Jonathan, and um, and they were being delivered into. The difference is that the beginning of the book, when God's people are disobedient and rebellious and corrupting the worship at the tabernacle with Eli's sons, and that's when. God actually delivers his people into the hands of the Philistines and then the ark goes on its tour and God defeats the Philistines um, and they suffer under his hands. So you get that theme going on. Now, where where am I going with this? Well, there's a, a very significant moment in chapter 17 where we're introduced to David. So you remember when David was facing Goliath, he said, Lord has saved me from the hand of the bear and the hand of the lion will also save me from the hand of this Philistine. That's in um, uh, and then he's, that's in chapter seventeen, verse thirty-seven. And then twice he says in seventeen forty-six and seventeen forty-seven that to Goliath the Lord is going to deliver you into my hands. And yet here we hear, and yet here God's hand continually saves David and his men from Saul. And his hand is against Saul, confounding his efforts. And so you see again that 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 solidifying of this continual picture. Saul is a king like the nations, and God is treating Saul like the nations and David like his people.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating that parallel. And you said you've got a third one for us. What's the what's the final parallel?
0: The final parallel is actually from uh, the same sort of part of scripture back in in earlier in 1 Samuel it's the time and this came up with one of the questions on, on Sunday night it's about the torn robe so if you think about it you've got David coming out and saying hey I've got the corner of your robe and you've been treating me unfairly now now why why wouldn't Saul just say you're right yes you're more righteous than me and all of that and and why don't you come back and I'll, I will restore you. I'll give you a place of honor. What, why does he suddenly say, surely I know that God has given the kingship to you. That's not the first place you would go.
1: Seems like quite a big leap.
0: Seems like quite a big leap. Unless you've had an incident like this happen to you before. This is in chapter 15, verses 20, verse 28. When, when Saul uh, grabs Samuel's robe and tears a bit of that robe into his hands. And listen to what Samuel says in reply. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. And so, what we've got is you can see, imagine Saul looking back to David, the one who he was afraid might take the kingship of him. And what's he got in his hand? A torn section of robe. And you can't tell me that Saul is not remembering what Samuel had said to him with the visual aid that he's given.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing that we get, isn't it? As we dig into the text and look at those details, we actually see how things come together and we understand what's going on. What else should we be noticing in this section of 1 Samuel?
0: Well, something that we didn't really get to look at yesterday is, is also an important theme that starts to build in the passages that we looked at in chapters 23 and chapter 24. So you might remember that the previous passage we looked at, um, we saw the fact that David was this, the, the persecuted Messiah. He was the outlaw Messiah. And the, and we saw how that lays down a pattern for Jesus, that from the beginning of the kingship of God's people, or at least with God's chosen king, it's he's going to be hated without reason, by the leaders of his own people even in spite of his innocence right and so we see that sort of persecution theme going on that unjust suffering well in chapter 23 we also start to see that betrayal and abandonment by those that you came to save is also part of the pattern of the messiah and that's going to continue and actually strengthen in the next couple of chapters so what did we see in chapter three we saw david betrayed by Keilah. 23. um Betrayed by Ziph, then in chapter 25 we're going to see that he is betrayed by Nabal, um, whose flocks he protected when he was in the area of Ziph, and then in the chapter after he's betrayed by the Ziphites again. Keilah is in Judah. That's David's own home tribe. Worse, he'd saved them from the Philistines. Ziph is in Judah, David's own tribe. And we find out from chapter 25 that while hiding there, he did nothing but good for the locals. Nabal, as we will find out next week, is also from Judah. And in fact, he's a descendant of Caleb who followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And uh, we're going to look at a bit more of that in next week's mm-hmm. podcast. Um, and, and he had been served faithfully by David's men, had protected his flocks and herds, and he'd actually prospered from David's care. And he... Um, uh, sells david out as well but what we're going to see that is that theme comes to its culmination in 2 samuel where where it becomes closer to home for david most notably when david's betrayed by his own son Mm -hmm. absalom whose name tragically meant my father is peace but who brought no such peace to david
1: yeah it's I just love the way that that all comes together and we see the betrayal in there of David that points to the betrayal of Jesus himself later on. Indeed. What else should we be noticing as we look carefully at 1 Samuel?
0: Well, you remember in a couple of the other podcasts, we've spoken about big structures that that kind of sit there over it. Well, guess what? We had another one. Um, And uh, you may have picked it up in the sermon, but chapter 23 has got a very... Interesting big structure. So if you think about it this way, first of all, you get um, the Philistines, whom God delivers to David. Then we get Keilah and a passive betrayal of the Messiah. Then we get an incident with Jonathan, uh, which I'll talk about in a minute. Then we get another active betrayal by Zif. This time it's stronger. It's an active betrayal by the Ziphites. And then where do we finish? With the Philistines again. Where God uses who God uses this time to deliver David from Saul's hands. So so it, it's it's not a complete sort of mirror within itself. It's like you've got an A B C B one A one kind of thing. You've got where you get this amplification sort of going through. But remember what we said: if you've got a structure like that, you're thinking, what's in the middle? Yeah, well, that's what got to we, be important? That's exactly so. What is in the middle of chapter 23? It's Jonathan. It's Jonathan reminding David that God was his strength. It's Jonathan reaffirming his covenant with David, his confession of David's right to the kingship, and his contentedness for David to have rule over his life. And so if you've got these betrayals, you've got the nations on the outside, the Philistines, and you've got this wonderful segment in the middle that says, who is God with And Jonathan's confession of David makes it very clear God is with David. God will save David and deliver his enemies into his hands.
1: Yeah, love the way that that structure works. But isn't there a bigger structure going on than just what's going on in chapter 23,
0: 24? Yeah, because chapter 24 is also the beginning of another one. So if you read chapter 24 and then read it, ahead a couple of chapters you go hang on a minute we've got the same thing happening so in chapter 24 you have saul prompted by the ziphites chases david but he's delivered into david's hands he's then forced to confess his sin and david's righteousness remember that was chapter 24 well if you read chapter 26 you'll read about saul prompted by the ziphites who chases david but is delivered into david's hands is forced to confess his sin and david's righteousness now, it's, they're not exactly the same thing that's going on. There's different variations in the story. But you can't, you've got to be blind not to see that it's basically the same thing happening again. So hang on a minute. We've got them. They don't happen back to back. They separate over, around chapter 25. So here's a challenge, in fact, that I'm going to set for this week, is if you're curious, read 25 and you think, what might chapter 25 be doing in the middle of these two stories yeah and we'll talk about it uh next week
1: so challenge accepted uh who else will do that might be some interesting conversations on sunday indeed so uh, where do we go from there what what other connections should we be making
0: well as we've looked at already so far uh it's it's important to realize that more than 50% of the Psalms, I'm pretty sure, are, are written by David or attributed to David. And and so a number of those Psalms are windows into David's experiences and these reflection of those experiences that later on in time um, that he's composed uh, about the time. And we saw that there were a few of them that were related to the passage a couple of weeks back. And there's a couple that relate to today as well. And so Psalm 54 is one of them. So the title for Psalm 54, here's another thing about the Psalms, if you, if you weren't aware, you know how often if you're going to read the Bible and you get a, a, a something written in italics over the top, like a section heading, you don't read that because you go, well, look, that's an editorial thing that the NIVs put in. Well, here's the thing. When you're reading the Psalms, those little ones underneath whatever the Psalm is, they are scripture. They're, they're not editorials that have been added by modern producers of bibles they're ones added by the original compilers of the bible so
1: they're part of the They're text.
0: part of the text so psalm 54 is titled for the director of music with stringed instruments a maskil of david when the ziphites had gone to saul and said is not david hiding among us mm-hmm. that's what he doesn't they do in chapter 24 and at the beginning of chapter 26 and so let me read it to you and and, and read you david's reflections upon that time Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. People without regard for God. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. I will sacrifice a freewill offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. You have delivered me from all my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. So it's a great one there, and and you can almost hear John and uh, Jonathan's words echoing in David there, who's how he's going. You God are my strength, and that is exactly what Jonathan went there to reassure I'm him sure. about. Yeah. yeah, there's another one though, and it, it's Psalm 18. Now we don't know 100% sure whether psalm 18 was from this specific time or a broader segment of time but but let me read to you the title that um, goes over that it certainly is is reflecting on this time but probably a couple of others as well so psalm 18 um, is entitled for the director of music of david the servant of the lord he sang to the lord the words of this song when the lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of saul Um, and the chapters we're reading is when he's being delivered from the hands of Saul. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's quite a large chapter, but I want you to read David's reflection, his song, uh, from verse uh, 16 to 30. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight to the faithful you show yourself faithful to the blameless you show yourself blameless to the pure you show yourself pure but to the devious you show yourself shrewd you save the humble but bring low those whose eyes are haughty you lord keep my lamp burning my god turns my darkness into light with your help i can advance against a troop with my god i can scale a wall as for god his way is perfect the Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in Him, and you can imagine, given all we've read about what David's gone through, and and his resolve not to fall into the the um, the violence and taking matters into his own hands, and, he, and you can hear that reflection in those verses. It's it's a it's a great psalm. Read the whole lot sometime.
1: There's a beauty to that, but I find myself conflicted as I hear it because yeah. I look at that and go. Can David really say I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin?
0: Mm, yeah.
1: There's the whole it's like I I love the picture of it, but find myself going, but but David, you're not you're not perfect. No. <laughs> like and there are other Psalms that I guess more clearly pick up David's wrestle with his own sinfulness and that repentant heart that we see that he clearly has.
0: It's like there's two Davids, isn't it? There's the David who reflects upon his genuine righteousness. Like, uh, what would you have done in that cave? I, I, th- I think, uh, especially when you're being egged on by your men. And and so, you know, we... we we would be skewing our vision of David if we didn't look at the overarching story of his life and give the same verdict on it that the scripture does and that says that he was a righteous man and and so he was and so there's times when he's reflecting upon that especially the fact that he held on to his integrity and 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 didn't fall into these things and when he was being persecuted like he's talking about in this psalm, from pillar to post until he finally makes it to be king himself. And so this psalm is a psalm where he's reflecting upon that, upon the unjust persecution that he faced. And in that regard, he did act rightly. Mm. But... Boy, where else we've seen already, didn't we? Some things that David's done, where we've gone. Hang on, didn't you lie? And didn't that cost Ahimelech his life? And and we're going to see a few things next week where David is not overly impressive. He gets mm-hmm. some blue language out of his lips, that's for sure. Um, and in two Samuel, many of the things we read, David do. We we, we well, there, yeah, they're awful. Yeah. And so you read these and you go, um, and and it's almost like um, I think there's something here in the genre so what is the psalm we read over it's for the director of music of david the servant of the lord and he sang to the lord the words of this song you know there is a sense where this is a a holy spirit inspired poem where, where david is reflecting upon the distinctive of the fact that i stood firm um and you rewarded me as you said you would and so he's reflecting upon that and and so you're getting the more uh, you're getting just that lens, in a sense, on David in this. And in that regard, where does it point?
1: And is that where the whole thing, that there is the fulfilment in this psalm um, in David himself yes. and in his life, but we're not supposed to leave it at David because David himself is pointing forward to the Messiah?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And 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 where this is, in a sense, a, a, a lens you could look through at David, it is actually... The, Christ was actually blameless, 100% perfect and blameless and and, and upheld by the Lord and, and was vindicated for his righteousness. And we managed to benefit, as David ultimately does as well, from the great Messiah's righteousness. And yet at the same time, there's a great thing is that we also will get a song where David will lament. He will lament about his suffering and you'll think, well, mate, your life wasn't all bleak. But aren't we glad that he did reflect the way he did when his life was bleak? And aren't we glad as well when we get Psalms like Psalm 51 where he reflects upon his sin and he recognises that he's, the, the real David, if you pile together all that he wrote, didn't think that he was perfect by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Yeah, and it's really that perfect picture in the end in verse 30 there of, as he reflects on what his God is like. Yes. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him.
0: That's great. And I think that'll do us for today.
1: Well, thanks very much for joining us for this week's Sermon Seasonings. I've been Mandy.
0: I've been Dave. Don't forget the challenge. 1 Samuel 25, what's it doing in the middle of 24 and 26? See you later.
1: See ya.